Jim was just laughing at me because I realized that I have to brush my teeth before I can zoom. Even though, like, oh, yeah. clearly you're not going to be able to smell my morning breath. But still, like, I can't. <laughs> That's true. I can't do it because, yeah. like, what? It's can't rude it to have morning breath when you talk to people. Welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. So Katie, I'm going to start with you again as usual, and I hear some background noise. So tell me what's going on on the farm and in the house these days. Well, the kids and I are in day eight, I think, of COVID lockdown. Daddy is home today, thank God. And what you hear is Charlotte on her, I don't know, 92nd hour of singing the pirate song from Gabby Cats about how we're all kitty pirates now. She's been singing it a lot. At least she's cute. Other than that, we're all feeling pretty okay. Thank God for vaccines. And the the one downside this week was that I special ordered three dozen handmade tamales. Um, which I've been very, very excited about because tamales are one of my favorite foods and they're labor intensive, so I'm never going to make them. And I picked them up yesterday, the same day that I lost my sense of smell and my sense of taste. And that was not delightful. And yes, I did contactless pickup and everything, but still, um, I guess upside, I drove around with them in my car and couldn't smell them. So that was probably just as well. Um, other than that, my one. My now, one are they real... freezable? Can you at least yes. salvage those? Yes, thank God, because three dozen tamales for just me would be a little ridiculous, no matter what. Um, well, I, well, I was thinking, but I mean, I don't. I wasn't sure how big they were. Don't judge me, Arlene. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm definitely my my office faces our front porch, and Jim put a bird feeder out for me yesterday because all the blue jays have been flocking up here, and. Now we're kind of running a contest to see how fat birds can get and still be able to fly. I'm sure a lot of it's down, but I have um, seven or eight birds out there that look like softballs with tails. This is getting a little ridiculous. <laughs> and Arlene, I'm very excited about this Positively Farming Media Mastermind that you're doing, which will, I'm sure, help us with the show and make it awesome. And I just thought I'd throw that in there just in case it felt weird for you to like brag up your own taking the initiative to improve things around here. Yeah, it's uh, something that Katie and I decided together to uh, start. We did on. not. She just did it, which is awesome. I appreciate <laughs> her just going ahead and doing it. You're the one who's taken on a whole bunch of extra hours at your paid job. So I thought I could do some uh, learning on the other end. So yeah, we joined this new mastermind. Well, it's not new, but new to us. And so I got to do one group call so far. So it's a mastermind that's made up of other ag podcasters. So, I mean, that's pretty exciting because I mean, one of our goals for our podcast is to create community with parents and with farmers and creating community with other podcasters is awesome too. So 
thank you to the two people who started it, Bev and Caitlin. (laughs) I'm excited to work with them and the other podcasters who are part of it. The update on our end, it's going to sound like we're never home, but we actually went away a second time in the same week, which was unheard of. But we told our daughter that for her 16th birthday, we would take her somewhere on a trip. And, you know, COVID times, it wasn't going to be anywhere too far away or exotic. But we went to Guelph last weekend, which is the location of the Ontario Agricultural College and the university where my husband and I actually met. So she is thinking that that's where she would like to go next year, which seems wild that we're already at that stage of life that she's thinking about universities but that's her idea at this point is that's where she would like to go so we went and did a tour so we got to go inside some of the buildings a friend of ours actually a someone that used to work for us in the summer and has gotten a 4-h calf from us in the past she goes there now as does her sister and her sister's a tour guide so we got a personalized tour got to go in some buildings that were still shut at this point they're just starting back into going to class in person. They've been virtual since Christmas break as well, like a lot of other schools were around here. So that was pretty fun to see what's changed on campus and see what's what's the same. And my husband got out his old Aggie jacket. So we actually went into the library at one point as part of the tour and some first year Aggie saw his jacket and they compared notes on being an Aggie and campus life. So I think that made his day. He was hoping someone might notice his, uh, his coat from 1999. They also mentioned that that was before they were born. So that was, that was nice too. Things are good. We've had a couple of calves lately, but but no big baby booms recently. We got a little bit of warmer weather, which melted some of the ice so the cows can go outside again, which is nice because it's been so icy that they, we haven't been putting them out for fear of them hurting themselves. So we got some squishy snow again. So they're outside a little bit today, which I think they all enjoy. And Arlene, can you clarify for our non-cattle farmer friends what happens to cows on ice? I didn't know, honestly, before the first time I encountered it. It was horrifying. So, Well, I'm trying to think, is it goofy? You know, or no, I'm thinking of the scene in Bambi, you know, like that Bambi scene where Bambi goes out on the ice and his legs go in all directions. It's similar to that, except they don't bounce back up. No, they don't. And for anyone who has gestated a child and had some, was it pubic symphysis pain? I think you can kind of envision what that's probably like for a dairy cow when her legs go opposite directions. It's, it's bad news bears for cows. And also, Arlene, I'd like to wish your sister Maida a happy birthday. I know it's this weekend, right? Tomorrow, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She messaged to invite me to her birthday party on Saturday. I guess they're having an inflatable parade. Yes, um, they're having an inflatable parade. I'm guessing you're not going to make it, though. I know I'm very jealous, but I did have to point out that since it's a 16-hour drive, I think, that I probably was going to have to pass, especially with the whole not being able to get into Canada, not being able to get back into the States situation, but maybe we can. And you're probably still not supposed to leave your house. Yeah, that too. Our guest today is Kristen Kelderman from East Central Ontario. Kristen is a master's mental health student who you can find on Instagram as the farm therapist. We ask each of our guests the same opening question. So Kristen, what are you growing? Good morning, lazy ladies. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, normally with a question like this and my background in marketing and communications, I would come up with some like, you know, elaborate kind of like fun little uh, response to this question. But 
quite literally right now I am growing two little babies and my Ooh. husband and I are expecting our first uh, couple kids so it's been a bit of a journey and that's uh, just kind of a new thing in our life right now so that's literally what I'm growing. <laughs> wow congratulations that just added a whole bunch more questions to our uh... <laughs> to our rough script that we have in front of us. Right? I have yes, to say, I'm, yes. I'm really impressed with your efficiency, too. Because to <laughs> That was my husband's response. Totally. He's like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it all in one. So, yeah, it's been, uh, that's been a, an exciting part of our life that we've just shared over the holidays with family and friends. And definitely wanted to bring that into our conversation today because I think it kind of like, meshes in with what we're going to chat about today. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm growing on until the spring, at least. <laughs> and when are you? That's very exciting. We are expecting so with twins, they usually come a little bit early. So we're just kind of keeping it fluid, probably somewhere around May ish is when we're thinking. So my goal is let's have everything at least Roughly, you know, as much as you can, you ladies know with kids, it's probably highly unpredictable. <laughs> May is kind of my, my, my due date. So that'll be a busy, busy spring, but hey, let's, let's embrace the chaos is kind of the attitude I'm having. <laughs> so other than babies, what are you growing in terms of uh, social platform, career, that kind of stuff? Sure. Yeah, definitely. That, that's really been a large part of uh, pre-baby sort of been my, my focus and, and my kind of goal in life. So I am, as you said in the intro, I'm a student right now. So I went back to school uh, to do my master's in uh, psychology and neuroscience of mental health. And that's really been something that I've been quite passionate about. And it kind of grew from my personal experience in the mental health world, and then my love and connection and background growing up on a farm. So that's something that I'm really kind of growing my learning, my knowledge base, my experience in talking about this, you know, really important issue that has kind of come to the forefront. You know, it's always been there. It's always been kind of like sort of the underpulse of our industry. You know, I'm sure we can all think of, of stories and people that we've heard of that have struggled with mental health issues, but it's really just kind of coming up a little bit more forefront these days, you know, with, with the pandemic and then also just with people being a little bit more open and, and talking about these kind of uh, topics. So that's kind of from, from a career standpoint, my, my focus is my education right now. And then beyond that, really trying to harness, you know, what does this mean for our industry and agriculture in Canada and North America? And how can we, how can we grow this into a supportive community that we can talk about, we can connect, we can build, you know, practical resources and how can we help people have some of these conversations as well because it's certainly happening out there in little bits and pieces but just kind of like that really coordinating piece to bring mental health in farming and agriculture to the forefront so that's sort of kind of I would say what I've I've been growing and is kind of growing alongside me at this point too. <laughs> so Kristen what is your background in agriculture? Mm-hmm. So yes, I did grow up on a farm. My background, I grew up on a dairy farm. My parents uh, raised and milked cows or raised uh, and milked cows. They recently sold the cows and quota this uh, past fall, which was a, a big life change. But really, I think when I look back on it now, agriculture was kind of my first secret love. And I say that, you know, kind of as a kid, 
growing up on the farm, it was just the day to day that you kind of took for granted. And now as an adult, looking back to it, it's like, wow, like how fortunate I was to have that experience and to, to really be raised in an environment that set me up for so much success. So my, my story, I started on my mom, when my mom met my dad, I was about five years old and uh, we moved to the farm in Napanee. And it was basically for me at the time, winning the kid lottery. Like it was like going to Disney and getting to stay there like full time. And it was just a really incredible eye-opening way of learning about life, learning about people, learning about food. And it was just, you know, ingrained and every day that we got to get up and have this life. And sure, there were lots of days when I would grumble and I didn't want to, you know, feed calves or help milk the cows or winter. I'm definitely not a true Canadian. So when it was cold out, I was like, oh, I don't want to go out to the barn. But I would bundle up and, you know, head out there. And it was always, you know, at the end of the day, it was always just such a satisfying feeling to be able to look back and see what we were able to accomplish as a family. And our our farm, we worked really closely. I'm the oldest of five kids, and all of us were involved in the farm as kids growing up, doing chores and whatnot. And that's what really kind of grew my passion, kind of seeing, you know, what my parents did every day, how that sort of rippled out into our community. And it wasn't really until I went away to university that I saw the larger impact of what agriculture really means. Because a lot of time, and I think it's true for, for some farmers, is we kind of have a bit of tunnel vision. We see what we, we know what we do on our farms. And we, you know, now with social media and stuff, we're a little bit more inter, um, interconnected and able to kind of see what other people are doing. But day in and day out, you're 100% focused on your operation, your crops, your animals, your family. And so for me, that door really like burst wide open when I went to uh, to the University of Guelph. And that really kind of set me up for thinking a little bit bigger about, you know, well, maybe I don't want to you know, just milk cows every day, how can I use my skills and my talent to help, you know, lots of farmers and to integrate and to work with lots of farmers, because I definitely have always been sort of a a people person. So agriculture can be, you know, a little isolating on the farm day in and day out. So my skill set, how can I use it to benefit our industry? And that's sort of where I fell into this, this area of communications and marketing. I really liked, you know, kind of the fast pace, the creativeness of it. And, and that's where I spent 10 years of my career after Guelph and really enjoyed learning and being creative and kind of being able to see a lot of different operations too. I not only worked with people in the dairy industry, but across, you know, crops, other livestock species, fruits and vegetables, you know, I've got to tour and see a lot of different farms, which is a really unique and kind of interesting perspective that it gave me. And all along as I was doing this, I was kind of sort of in the the back of my mind, trying to evaluate and assess like, well, you know, what are, what are the pieces that I really like here? Like, what do I, what makes me excited about my job? And it was always kind of came back to the people. Like that was always sort of my, it was the people that excited me, you know, hearing their stories, listening to them. And the more time I spent, the more I got to hear like the real stories, right? It's not just the, you know, what you talk about at the farm show or what's the latest, greatest, like you got to hear the struggle and you got to hear the triumphs from that and just really connecting connecting with that was 
really what kind of filled my cup and kind of made my heart grow three sizes, which was really exciting. So flash forward to, you know, the last couple of years of this horrible pandemic, and I had a little bit of a pandemic epiphany or crisis, if you want to call it that, and reevaluated. My husband and I were kind of in a a bit of a stage of flux where he was changing jobs and we had some opportunity to grow and whatnot. And I said, you know, I love my job. I loved working in marketing and communications, but I knew it wasn't what I wanted long-term. And so kind of taking that time to reassess and reevaluate, I said, you know, I think that I want to go back to school. And he was like, okay, how much is it going to cost me? <laughs> First question out of his mouth. <laughs> but being the being the very pragmatic person in our relationship, we kind of came, we agreed that that was sort of the right direction for me at the time. And so, yeah, I, I've spent the last year and a half now studying mental health through King's College in London, England, uh, virtually, which has been an incredible experience. And I've learned so much, but I've also learned so much, you know, learned so much about the knowledge and that kind of side, but also, you know, seeing this sort of evolution of how agriculture is starting to sort of embrace mental health has been really reassuring to me. So in a nutshell, I guess that's sort of my background in this space and sort of what I, where I've come from and and what I hope to see sort of for our future as well. I think it's really cool. I don't know how it is in your area about the acceptance of technology and whether the internet is, you know, just for Netflix and wasting time, but it's really neat to me to see that we're living in a time where you can work on your master's degree from a university on the other side of an ocean and that you can run a career that helps support your family and stay a home on the farm at the same time mm-hmm. that you can do off farm work and farm and not have to choose you know i'm going to stay home on the farm and give up everything else i wanted to do or i'm going to do everything else i wanted to do and give up the farm you know and that's mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. someone who works from home i think it's mm-hmm. really really cool that we're living at this time and at a time that we can have a podcast and talk to people all over the world about Absolutely. their stories and because mm-hmm. yeah i mean we started this because we wanted to hear what other people were doing and Absolutely. I won't I won't speak for Arlene, but I'm really nosy and I like to like, <laughs> you know, I like to hear other people's ideas. So yes. yeah, you know, absolutely. It's very cool to me to have this technology. So where do the babies land in your master's degree situation? <sighs> Man, that's a great question. <laughs> that was my first, my first real tough conversation with my husband. I was like, well, I had this plan to do school and now we're supposed to have these kids. Like what's going on here? So after some tough conversations and just real conversations too, because, you know, I think in, in some ways I was very, I'm very career focused. I'm hyper, you know, I want, I set out to do this goal and now I'm having this like, you know, kind of sidebar come in and being able having to pivot. And so thankfully, you know, along with the the technology allowing me to be able to do my schooling, our program is very flexible as well. So a lot of my classmates either work full time um, or part time as well. At the same time, some of them are our family doctors or physicians or research scientists. I have no idea how they do that full time and school, but I give them all the credit in the world. But the program is really designed to be quite flexible, which is nice. So my plan is to sort of take um, 
take four months. So if they come springtime, kind of take the summer to, you know, really focus on, okay, how do I be a mom? How do I figure all this stuff out and navigate and lean on my, my friends and family through, throughout the summer. And then my husband's job, he works in agriculture too. And he works for a really great company that they provide paternity leave here in Canada, which I know is not something that's really accessible to a lot of people or even, you know, self-employed people like farmers. You just kind of make it work. But he's, our plan is for the fall for him to take paternity leave. So then that kind of four month chunk, I can finish off my master's. So if all goes to plan, which I'll check back in with you this time next year, <laughs> that's sort of what we're hoping to, to do. It's weird because I know I, at least before I had the first baby, was like, well, you know, nothing in my life will change. The baby will just <laughs> work in. It'll be fine. And yeah. that's totally bullshit. It doesn't happen. But at the same time, the baby doesn't know if you're supposed to be spending 19 hours a day just, like, obsessively staring at them and never doing anything else. So <laughs> it's it's a weird one because, like, nothing will go the way you planned, but everything will be fine. It's right. You know, it yeah. may not look anything like what you expected, but it'll work out. Right. So totally, that is my, totally. my parenting in a nutshell right there. <laughs> I think we're on the same page because that's yep. sort of I'm sort of preparing myself and you know, I am talking my husband and I are are really quite open communicators about this and we're like, okay, like let's let's set the bar low so then anything that happens above that, that'll just be benefit, right? <laughs> yes. Low bar is key to to parenting yeah. for sure. Exactly. Yeah, I, I exactly. think I shared something the other day just to our our podcast Facebook page about, you know, my gift to other parents is setting the bar really low so that the rest of you look better. Like, yep, that's me right 100%. there. In a nutshell. <laughs> I <laughs> love it. So we want one of our goals for the podcast, like we've said, is to be a resource for for farm families and for parents. And I know that I had heard a lot about postpartum depression. It's one of those things that I think gets talked about frequently and is done in all the parenting, you know, the pregnancy classes, all that kind of stuff. But I honestly didn't even know that postpartum anxiety was a thing until after I'd had a couple of kids. And so I was wondering if you have any input from a research perspective, kind of what where you know, like why they happen and mm -hmm. kind of the, the differences and, you know, just talk a little bit about both of those kind of postpartum issues that a lot of, a lot of parents end up going through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, um, Arlene, like it is something that's quite prominent. And I know a lot of doctors or midwives will talk about this in appointments and whatnot. And from, from my perspective, you know, postpartum depression and anxiety, if we think about them, you know, just kind of out of the context of pregnancy first, you know, they're both extremely common and very serious mental illness, illnesses that we hear about, or we've had experience with, with, fam with family or friends or somebody that we know. And really it comes down to how it negatively affects, you know, how you feel, how you think and how you act. And a lot of times, you know, depression is kind of thought about in a very um, colloquial way or like, you know, everyday way is like, oh, you're like sadness is kind of how we associate depression, sadness, you know, low mood and some of those kind of things. And then on the other side, anxiety is sort of what we can can think of as being sort of that state of worry and like panic and sort of around things that aren't really, you know, out, or are outside of our control, really, and how we obsess about that. So 
we have depression on one hand, sort of being that sadness side and anxiety, this worry. And when we combine them together, like that's just a whole mess of shitstorm that we really don't want to be in. And so when we think about the kind of our, our symptoms around depression specifically, you know, it's, it's more than just being sad as well. Because I know some people... You know, if you've got that sort of rough and gruff and sort of scaly exterior where you're like, oh, like, you know, you can't get out of bed, like what's wrong with you? Like just, you know, perk up and and get out of that state. It's really more than that, too. And that's kind of what science and research and psychology and, and psychiatry has helped us understand more is that it's not just, you know, being able to get yourself out of a low mood. There's significant issues here that kind of revolve around not only environmental factors, but behavioral factors, there's genetic implications that play at risk there. So it's not just, you know, as simple as saying like, oh, I'm feeling sad. A lot of times, you know, we might use the word like I'm feeling depressed, like quite every day, but recognizing that this is seriously a serious diagnosis of an illness. You know, we see things in terms of symptoms, in terms of loss of interest or activities. So something that, you know, you maybe enjoyed once before, you're really not, you know, you're not interested in getting out and doing that anymore, whether that's a hobby or your job or being social and whatnot. We see with people who, who experience depression, we see signs of irritability, hopelessness, loss of appetite, loss of energy. Sleeping is a really big struggle for that. You know, excessive crying, just kind of feeling worthless and like guilty about, you know, guilty about feeling all of these things as well. And then on top of all of those, you know, and there's more beyond that too, there's a serious risk of suicide here as well. So that's really why we take these illnesses very seriously is because of the potential loss of life here. And that's been, you know, it's the prevalence of, of these illnesses, depression, we see worldwide, it's about 280 million people, that equates to about one in every 15 adults. So, you know, it's not as as rare as you may think it is. And the other part is to remember as well is it's a sliding scale too, right? So we have everything from moderately depressed to severe depression. And, and that's really kind of a very important thing to remember as well is that those depression isn't the same for every individual and your symptoms may be very different and whatnot. So yeah, definitely more than more than just having a low mood and, and feeling like you can't get out of bed. The great thing that we have uh, been able to, from a medical side, look at these illnesses with is that we do have treatments that are effective and that can work as well. So it's not all just a terrible, you know, very depressing story at the end of the day is that we do have tools that we can access either through professionals or through helping ourselves that can help us get over some of these uh, these issues and these symptoms. So this is everything from, you know, medication is often something that people will, will know a little bit about when it comes to depression, which unfortunately has been a little bit stigmatized in, in certain areas by media and, and the entertainment industry, but it's a real a tool that can, can really help people if that's something they choose to go through. We have things like talk therapy or working with a psychologist to work through some of these that issues as well about depression and, and anxiety. And that can be, you know, very different. There's lots of different options to work with a therapist, whether you want to do something like cognitive 
behavior therapy. And then on the research side, there's also been quite a bit of um, support more recently for something called mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. So using kind of that mindfulness approach around like meditation and being self-aware and using that to kind of help you understand either your depression or anxiety and how you can you know, use your own skill set to overcome some of those things. There's, again, there's some more uh, technical kind of treatments called electroconvulsive therapy, which is really kind of a much more rare treatment for depression, typically diag- or typically used for those who are diagnosed with very severe depressive and the people who like can have reoccurring depressive episodes too. So that's the other thing to remember too, is you may have one episode of depression or anxiety in your life and that's it. Or it might be something that you continuously live with throughout your um, entire entire life going forward. So those kind of things. And, and all these treatments I mentioned, you know, they're prescribed by professionals. Your diagnosis comes from a professional, a doctor, a psychologist, or, or a psychotherapist. And that's really something important too, to realize that these are medical conditions too, right? We're not just out there self-diagnosing, saying, oh, I'm feeling so depressed or I'm feeling anxious. Like, yes, self-identifying is kind of your first step. And then seeking help and getting diagnosis, if that's something that you choose to do is um, is the process that you do. So all of these treatments can either be done individually or in combination too, and kind of seeing what works for you. It's kind of a bit of a, a trial to see, you know, what connects with certain people. Some medications work for some people, and sometimes it's a combination of medication and psychotherapy. So you know, from a research side, you know, we know a lot about these things, but there's still a lot that we really don't know too, which is both frustrating and also interesting (laughs) from my perspective and kind of, you know, how we come about with some of these, these illnesses and what we can continue to look for and help people. So to get back to kind of the postpartum side of, because I know that's something very, very prevalent. And when I looked up the statistics that the other day, they were said one in seven women will experience postpartum depression. So for every one mom who has a baby, that's a significant risk, right? And an anxiety, postpartum anxiety, that is kind of in the same similar realm of about 16% of women uh, will experience that as well. So these are things that are quite common that we want to make sure we're aware of and talking about. So The interesting thing that I've kind of been reading a lot about recently is the transition from instead of using postpartum to peripartum. So we think a lot about postpartum being kind of like after baby's born, that's kind of when the illness sets in or when we start to feel like we're struggling. And what we're sort of realizing now, and which kind of makes sense biologically when we think about pregnancy and how this sort of evolves and happens is your body is changing way before you deliver your baby, right? And that, you know, baby afterwards is, yes, a lot of stress as well. But even before that, your body is experiencing a lot of changes, a lot of stress, a lot of like, what the hell is going on? And so really kind of starting to look at it instead of that kind of postpartum era, looking at it is that that peripartum depression. So once conception and, you know, all of those changes start happening, that's sort of when we're noticing most of that, that, that kind of setting in, I guess. And then it 
continually progresses beyond from then on and then kind of gets a little bit more exacerbated once baby's there there's other you know other stressors other hormones you know how do I keep this little human alive like all of those sort of stresses sort of come into into play so I think that's kind of a little bit of a shift in mindset from what we've traditionally seen and talked about from 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 a depression and anxiety standpoint and and important for you know not only us as individuals but also the doctors and midwives and nurses that kind of help you along through that journey too and so it's kind of been interesting to to look at it from that perspective because this is a really vulnerable part of our of becoming a mom right is all of these changes um, that are happening not only hormones but environmentally stresses like if you're working on a farm and you're pregnant you know you've got a lot of physical stuff that's happening to you like you know my even right now like I, I don't work on a farm but even just carrying the groceries and my husband's like don't carry the heavy bag like I'll do it and I'm you know the stubborn <laughs> stubborn attitude I'm like I can carry this this is fine like you have some of those like self-identity things that are sort of changing along with that too, being like, no, I still want to be an independent woman. I still want to be a career driven, driven woman. And I'm just going to, you know, exactly like Katie said, fit this baby in where I can. So we've got all of this sort of stuff just kind of piling together and making this, this kind of potential storm or risk factors, I guess, is, is sort of all coming together. So it's definitely, like I said, a, a big challenge. We do have treatments available. And an interesting, interesting thing that I've kind of learned from my studies has been that in there's been a lot of work done in third world countries more recently with women who experience postpartum or peripartum depression. And because their medical systems are quite different than ours and they don't have the same kind of support and whatnot. And I read something the other day that said that third world countries, if a woman sees a doctor once before she delivers, that's considered a success. And so that kind of just blew my mind a little bit when I'm thinking about, you know, I'm in my second trimester and I've had, I don't even know how many appointments already with my doctors um, or nurses or getting my blood taken. And I've had all of these kind of check-ins, which has been, you know, really kind of mentally for me helpful to know like, okay, baby's healthy, like, you know, things are going as they should. But if you only get one visit with a doctor, like that's significant. Like I, yeah, I couldn't imagine what's sort of going through your head in that space. So a lot of efforts or a lot of research that I've been recently reading around third world countries, they've started implementing um, kind of these mom and baby programs because of the significant risk factors around postpartum depression that it's not only a risk to mom herself, it's also a risk to baby's health after delivery. And so what they've found is a lot of these very simple, you know, nurse practitioner, or even in some of these, you know, more remote communities where there's not a medical expert around, even some of the elders, just having someone who's willing to sit with a woman and talk and, you know, kind of just ease some of that anxiety and that worry and that, that sadness that simple, very simple action of talking can help to alleviate some of these 
serious illness symptoms that we see later on. And uh, which is really quite, quite astonishing when you think about like, we can, we can help each other get through this, which is amazing. We still see, you know, significant, significant prevalence around the world. Like we said, one in 15 and 16% of women will experience anxiety. So it's just kind of interesting to think of the different perspectives that we might not be used to given our circumstances as well. And, and while our health systems aren't necessarily perfect, we do have access, quite a bit of access, which is fantastic. So it's, it's been really interesting to kind of see, see that, that research come about. And an, an, another piece that really kind of sparks my interest too, is that this postpartum and peripartum depression and anxiety has also been researched in men too. So even though they're not the ones that are delivering or having these physical changes happen in their body, there's still a significant change that's happening in their life too. And sometimes I think we sort of push that aside and be like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, like you're not the one growing these tiny humans, you know, what do you know, blah, blah, blah. It sort of gets left behind in the conversation and the story. But the interesting thing has been from a research perspective, they found that fathers can experience it it as well and just as severely as women can and up to four percent of fathers will experience those same symptoms too so it's not always a gender thing but it's really it has been hyper focused on on women but really kind of expanding the equality around those conversations too the saying that you know and I'm sure this is something that not a lot of men talk about and they're not always the ones going to those appointments and whatnot too so thinking about where are the resources for them afterwards too? And how can they get help is a really important part of, of that discussion and that conversation. So yeah, kind of in a nutshell, why does all of this matter? Obviously it is a serious mental health issue. It's uh, it's a disorder that affects a lot of people that we know and we love and that are in our communities. It affects mom, baby, family, fathers, everyone. And there's that really significant increase in risk of suicide. So we want to really be there to prevent that from happening and to give people a better, brighter outlook, because that's sort of what life is all about, is making it better for each other. So in a nutshell, that's kind of uh, <laughs> my, my long-winded uh, answer. <laughs> yeah, when you talk about, you know, like the, the, the stressors of peripartum and postpartum, a lot of them do affect both members of the, you know, a couple, whether you're the one bearing the child or, or not, you know, things like sleep, depri- sleep deprivation and change of lifestyle and additional pressure to, you know, take care of the family, whether that's in the physical sense of, you know, like looking after the baby or feeling more pressure to, to take care of things as the person who's maybe working. And, you know, it just gives even more importance to, to things like parental leave when you can, you know, hopefully ease some of that burden for, for both members of a couple to, to not have to both feel all of that pressure to, to do everything because those life stressors, like you said, are sometimes the trigger that, you know, bring someone back into that place or, or leads into the, your first depressive episode potentially, or. Absolutely. For sure. And like, it's, we do know, you know, there are certain risk factors and like being, being a woman does predispose you that much more to being the potential for suffering from depression. Um, 
So that definitely has has a bigger risk factor as well as where where you live, what your socioeconomic status is. So living in poverty versus being more middle class, that has a huge factor on that too. So we do know some of those risk factors, but like you said, it's individual for everyone. Like it just kind of your your my breaking point is different than your breaking point. That's different than the next mom or dad's breaking point. Like they're all so different. And that's where I think we really need to be compassionate and empathetic for people that when we see them struggling, you know, we really, we don't always know what's going on at home or in someone's life. And just approaching that with a little bit more kindness and acceptance will hopefully start to change even just some of the, the stigma around these issues too, right? For myself, there was such a sense of, you know, well, a good mom would never be angry at her baby or anxious or whatever else or resent not having slept in however long you know and even before the kid's born that you're going to all these doctor's appointments and you're having to you can't eat lunch meat or whatever and you know there's this and this and this and this and this that you cannot do because if you do you are the worst person in the world and everything ever is your fault and realizing that there's so much this is the most magical time of your life and you will fall right in love with this tiny human and (laughs) i remember you know both of our babies were c-sections but the first one you know they Mm -hmm. do this huge surgery Mm -hmm. and then you know they take your glasses off and you're kind of pinned down and then they shove this kid like in my face Mm -hmm. and she's all gross and i'm totally (laughs) out of it and i'm like why don't I feel this instantaneous love that I'm supposed to feel? What kind of monster am I that I'm not like over the moon to have this slimy thing that I can't actually <laughs> see because I'm not wearing my glasses and she's like against my nose. Yeah. You know, and then everything's supposed to be the most magical days of your life. And I'm like, well, I haven't slept in, I don't know, eight months or something. Mm-hmm. And there was just so much and it's bullshit. It is all bullshit i call Mm -hmm. bullshit on all of it Mm -hmm. and that there's so much refusal to admit that anxiety can present as anger in a lot of people and especially for women that being angry is such a negative thing and you know what sort of monster would be angry at a newborn baby and you know like i know i've said before that if you had a roommate who showed up, pooped on everything, screamed all the time, wouldn't eat what you made, yeah, you know, kept you up all night, puked yeah. on everything, mm-hmm. and then everybody's like, well, don't you just love him? Isn't this just the best day of your life? Like, what the fuck? You know, yeah. more yeah. thinks I'm a monster. I do love my babies more than life itself. There are mm-hmm. still days that I just go, what the fuck? Because uh-huh. I'm just putting it out there that babies man i mean it can be the best thing that ever happened to you but they're still gonna puke on everything mm-hmm, mm-hmm, i got puked yeah. on three times in a day and a half last week and my kids are like in school age <laughs> they still puke on you i you know and i think it's it's yeah. so much easier for people to ask for help when they know that nobody else's life is going right either and exactly. it will just trying to get to a place where we can survive it where we can enjoy some of it once you get to a point where you can enjoy some of it you can work towards getting to enjoy more than 50 percent of it 
Right. I have yeah. days now that I enjoy up to maybe 93% of it. And that's really mm-hmm. pretty damn good. You know? <laughs> I feel like it's all right? like, you know, this yeah. social media and just cultural expectation that we should enjoy 120% of every moment. Mm-hmm. If you do, so we have yeah. to stop this expectation that that is a realistic thing. It's not a thing. Yeah. It's not. Mm-mm. And mm-hmm. it, it's just not. And it's bullshit no. to expect it. And it's bullshit to expect that our husbands will magically know what we need or our partners, mm-hmm. whoever that person is, will mm-hmm. magically, you know, adjust to having a baby in their lives yeah. and that mm-hmm. anything will be the same and that you'll ever have any idea what the hell's ever going on again. Ever. Right. Absolutely. And I, I think Katie, like you just nailed it right there. It's all about expectations and like just kind of going through these last couple months myself, like, you know, I, I'm a very driven person. And so I think like, okay, like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my school. Like that's my focus. Okay. Now I've got this, like this wonky plan that's like taking me off my path. Like, how can I, how can I get back to this as fast as possible? And like setting those realistic expectations and kind of like how we put that bar. Am I going to put the bar like way up here? Am I going to be like an exceptional student and like super mom? No fucking way. I'm not like, that is just way too much for me as an individual, because I know my anxiety is going to go through the roof. My therapist is going to tell me all the things that I need to be doing that I know I like, I shouldn't be putting this level on myself and we do it to ourselves. And unfortunately, I think there's some like cultural things too that feed into that, like social media and the, like, you know, me being like in my new mom phase, I was like, okay, I'm going to get some audiobooks. I'm going to read some, read about this. And, you know, I downloaded like three audiobooks on audible. I started all of them. And I instantly returned every single one because I was like, this is not what I want in my life. Like all of this, you need to be doing this and you should be doing this. And have you considered that? And I'm like, I am going into overdrive and I can't even think like I'm still trying to do school at the same time. I'm still trying to be, you know, like a partner in my relationship. I'm still trying to be like a dog's mom. And I still have all these things that I want to do in my life. And like this was it was just stressing me out. I was like, this is not okay." And, you know, on everybody who reads those books, like, what are they coming away with? Are they reading them thinking like, oh my God, this is the Bible. I need to like follow this. And it's like some people, yes. Right. Like we've been so conditioned that this is the path to motherhood and this is how every mom does it. And, you know, people want to give you advice and all of this other stuff. And, you know, it's, it's meant with good intention. I think mostly (laughs) depending on who you associate with, but it's just kind of, yeah, it's a bullshit, right? Because we all have to figure it out ourselves. We can't walk in other people's shoes. We can't expect the highlight reel of social media that, yeah, baby's going to be great and sleep and blah, blah, blah. Like that is, it just sets us all up for failure, I really think, ultimately. And unfortunately, that failure gets internalized, especially as a lot of women, we tend to internalize it as I'm a bad mom, I'm a bad friend, I'm a bad partner, because I'm not able to do everything and be everything to everyone. Well, that is not what I want to be. I want to set healthy boundaries. So I can still be me. Like, at the end of the day, I, yes, am going to be a a mom to these kids, and I'm going to keep them alive. But to do that, I need to be me first. And some of that language has really been put down in a lot of 
what I've seen and read and heard and experienced because it's like, oh, now you're being a selfish mom. And I think that is the message that if I could wave my magic wand and get rid of anything in our language, it would be that selfish mom. Like that is absolute bullshit because you have to be you first to be able to show up for other people. And to me, that's something that we can hopefully cultivate and through, through healthy practices that we can do ourselves, right? It doesn't have to be medication and therapy and like all this other things. There's lots of things that we can do from like a self-help side and from a coping side and just really getting to know yourself, right? Like it seems like the funniest thing because we spend 100% of our time with ourselves, but how well do we know our needs, our wants, our desires, like how we need to show up, how we communicate best, like how we want to live our life. And in my experience, we don't spend a lot of time really kind of like evaluating for ourselves to be like, you know, it's really important to me that I have, you know, I get a workout in every day or that I eat healthy or that, you know, I get to go for a walk by myself with no interruptions and no kids and no business talk and no nothing. Like, what are those things for you, right? Like, how can you build some of those practices so that when you do have, you know, people that depend on you that you want to show up for, right? And it's not, a lot of times, it's not that we don't want to do it. It's just, we only have so much to give. And asking people to burn out and, you know, there's lots of times when we overgive of ourselves and the people, the person that's, that, suffers the most from that is us and that's not good either and I think that's where we really get ourselves into this cycle too right perfect okay we've got perfect mom okay I'm going to do all these things okay now I'm giving 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 and now I have nothing left and now I see this perfect mom thing and we just like these this cyclical negative patterns that just basically we flush ourselves down the toilet bowls until we break and that is just so that's not a message that is, you know, communicated in these spaces a lot of times. And I think we can do better as individuals, as parents, as partners, as moms to keep it real and to say, you know what, this is what I want to do. And I don't have to do anything more than that. Right. I will say it was so liberating to me because I think there's such a, a backlash now against perfect parents too, that it's, you know, well, your house is perfect, and for our for our listeners who can't see Kristen's house, there's a whole lot of white. It looks like it's probably <laughs> real clean. You know, but there's such a backlash against the mom who does still have a really clean house because she's probably not enjoying her kids. Her kids are probably never allowed to have any fun. Fuck that. Maybe she just really likes yeah. her house being clean, and there's something else that she said is not a priority because she just yes. doesn't care. You know, mm -hmm. and you can't... Not everything can be the highest priority, but we have to let people mm -hmm. have their priorities and know that they are not prioritizing those things at us. I, Kristen's house would give me all the anxiety to let my children in there because it would be a shit show because <laughs> yeah. that's not a priority for our family. And it's awesome right. that it is a priority for Kristen. It's just, mm -hmm. and I am assuming that she has not decorated her house at me, that it's not no. a, a personal judgment <laughs> right. of my house yeah. that her house doesn't look like mine. Exactly. So, that's I think kinda... Katie and I have talked about this before too, and tied it back into the farming aspect too, right? Where it's like, no one else is farming at you. You know, they have 
different land, different expectations, different history, different financial situations, you know, like, but we get into that mindset of, oh, that person are started planting that person, you know, is doing something different than me. Is that a judgment of what I'm doing? Do they think I'm backwards? Do they think I'm not doing it right? Do they have some kind of knowledge that I don't have? And now we can tie that back into parenting too, right? Where it's like, oh, if I'm not doing the same as them, maybe I don't know something. Maybe, maybe I don't, don't understand something maybe they're they're doing it because they think they're better all that kind of stuff and most of the time no one's thinking about this right (laughs) no one you know and if if they are that's their issue right but you know like you've got you're you have to parent the kids you've got and you know like as mine have gotten older i mean they were i've got four they were all completely different babies and they're all completely different as they they get older Mm -hmm. and even if i try and parent my own kids the same as each other it doesn't always turn out because they have different needs and they have different personalities and and I can't be the same thing for each of them so yeah we've got to live in our lane and yeah support each other without yeah without that judgment but I think sometimes depending where you are in your own mental state what other people doing can feel like a judgment even if it has nothing to do with how someone actually feels about you Absolutely. For sure. For sure. And I think that's such a, yeah, such an important thing. I really like stay, stay in our lane and just like, and like, that is such a, a good insight that we often think that people are thinking about us when they absolutely, we're, we're selfish individuals. A lot of like humans, humans are selfish individuals. Like there's a lot of good people out there, but you oftentimes think about you know if somebody's walking past you in the grocery stores you know laughing with your friend you're like oh like is my did I say something did I do something weird like and they're like no they're talking about what they did last night like and how funny it was or whatever like we all have these like these little things and it's just kind of like I don't know if it's like biologically ingrained in us or if it's some sort of like evolutionary thing but it's terrible and (laughs) Yeah. yeah like we just don't think like we always people are not obsessed with us right like as much as we might want to we live they in our own bubble be, but... yeah i know right <laughs> even if they are like if they seriously have nothing better to do than to be that interested in what i'm doing yes like, that says a lot more about them than it does about me and i know now i it was a real shock to me the first time somebody said well you're such a relaxed mom like dude this is like this is a lot of medication Okay, this is a lot of medication <laughs> and a lot of therapy. Right. But I mean, yeah. I absolutely still have times where I'm just horrified that somebody saw me parent some way and, you know, is probably totally judging the fact that I yelled at my kids, you know, and there's right. just, there's still things that happened. So I took the kids to baby yoga when the girl mm. child was two, maybe a year and a half. And the, mm-hmm. the boy child was younger than that. And it was at our local library and it's all the yoga mommies, you know, for rural mm-hmm. Iowa, we live in a town with a lot of yoga mommies and they're <laughs> all with their perfect children who of course have never puked on anything and, you know, probably came out knowing how to like stack Montessori blocks or some goddamn thing. You know, I'm sure that none of these kids have ever thrown a tantrum or anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And my kids are just fucking berserk because mm. probably the formula made them crazy. <laughs> probably. Like, probably. And she goes tearing out in the hallway, falls on the steps, 
busts her two front teeth. There's blood everywhere. She's screaming. I'm crying. I've still got the baby. There's, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, we can never even go back to town, let alone back to baby yoga. <laughs> you know? Like, I still yeah. think about this. Because I had to take her. Turns out they can just file their front teeth down. And it turns out, like... It was a really good lesson for me because I took her into the dentist, you know, and I'm still crying. Like three days later, I'm still crying about mm-hmm. this. And the dentist goes, coffee table or stairs? And I was like, what? She goes, well, we only see kids for two reasons for stuff like this. Did she fall off the couch or she fell down the stairs? And I was like, oh, stairs. And she goes, you would not believe how often no. my kids did this. And I was like, right. you know, yeah. when you're... The nurse at the doctor's office will tell you some horrible story about something that happened to their kid. And you're like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, if it happens to everybody, then really anyone whose kids are perfect is the weirdo Mm -hmm. here. It's not exactly those of us with our kids with the jacked up front teeth. That's right. And I think like that's the what we can do and how we can move forward is about normalizing these things. Right. Like just being very apparent and like yeah this happens right shit happens life happens and it's not unlike what happens on the farm too right like we have good years we have bad years we have challenges and successes and how we how we look at that our attitude how we approach those things like that's what really will help us you know progress in our journeys and be more more accepting of when we do see something that's different it's like oh your instinct isn't to be like oh that's bad or oh that's you know i don't i would never do it that way it's like oh that's really interesting or like what can i learn from this like how we how we form our attitudes and and our our uh, opinions on things really is a reflection of i think who we are as people and where we are in our journeys if we're able to to instead take that judgment element out and be curious about things and be like, hey, you know what? I've never thought of it this way. Or be that yoga mom that steps out and be like, you know what? This happened to my firstborn. It's going to be okay. Take them to the dentist. It happens all the time. If we can help foster that normalizing of practices, and I know in my experience with therapy and working with a couple different professionals, that's really been what's been a lot of my breakthrough is like, I'm not alone, right? Like we are not alone. We're not alone as individuals, as moms, as farm people, as farmers, as business people. And that really starts to change the conversation and how we approach some of those things too, so that we're not always setting these stupidly unrealistic expectations and being like, okay, you know what? I got this. This is going to be all right. And when I need to lean on my people, I can because I don't feel ostracized for being a bad parent or not being able to get my crop in early this year or having an animal die on my farm. All of that happens, right? And as like kind of what we said in the beginning, we all farm in our own jurisdictions on our own farms. And we get so hyper focused on that, which is what we need to do. And then a lot of times it's the support people like the veterinarians, the crop advisors, the people, you know, that they're kind of the ones out there that are seeing everything. So I think there's a there's an important role to play there, too, from their conversations and how they talk to, to people about, you know, what's going on either, you know, from a business side or from a mental health side, too. 
And same thing with mom life. Like we can support moms in the same conversations as well as, you know, leading on on our the nurses and the professionals that that are there to help us too. So really just kind of taking those those stressful times and be like, hey, this happens all the time and it's probably gonna happen again too, right? <laughs> like we're not gonna be immune from from this in our lives and and to create that kind of fostering conversation instead of ostracizing and then internalizing all of that that badness or that like oh I'm not not good enough I guess like kind of idea around being a parent and a mom and a farmer and and a community member I'm not good enough to you know keep all of these things all of these balls in the air and be all perfect like bullshit (laughs) total bullshit for sure well and i think too there's become such a thing around well are you doing your best and it's so easy to internalize that is giving 110 percent at all times is your best Mm -hmm. and there's days that like 85 percent is your best and there's days that is anybody on fire is your best (laughs) and that's just how it is and hopefully you're not at a is anybody on fire stage all the time if you are you should probably reach out for help because I've totally mm-hmm. been there and mm-hmm. you know, that's not a good place to be. But mm-hmm. if you're surrounded by judgy assholes, you're not the problem. You just need to find new people. You know, if you're, exactly. if you're being yes. honestly being judged a lot, find new people. Mm-hmm. And if you're worried mm-hmm. that everybody is judging you all the time, find a therapist. Cause mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if everybody is a problem, it's probably you. If some people are a problem, it's probably them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, Katie, that's a really important part of kind of the mental health journey, too, is being being critical about who you do surround yourself with, because not everybody in your life is is good for you. They might be good for other people, but recognizing what's important to you and what what gives you strength and what and who supports you. You know, it's it's been a hard lesson that I've had to learn in my life as well. Being, you know, my 20s, I was very outgoing and wanted, you know, you want everybody to like you and you want to be accepted and you want to, you know, kind of be be in that that space of just like, oh, yeah, feeling really good about yourself. And I think it's something that maybe comes with a bit of maturity as well and kind of realizing that seeing people's true colors as well as you experience some of that, that backlash from the drama and whatnot that happens in life and just really recognizing that who's the most important to you. And I always had this idea in my mind that, you know, as I, I got older and I wanted to maintain all of my friendships and I wanted to, you know, make sure that I stayed in contact with everyone. And it was so important to me, especially in, in university and, and high school, like, you know, having a lot of friends was kind of a bit of like a status symbol. And the older I got, the more you realize, first of all, you don't have time for any. And then secondly, you evolve as a person too, right? Your priorities change, your goals in life change. And it's okay to have those different relationships flux and grow. And the ones that are are meant to stay with you, like my longest girlfriends, you know, 
we cannot talk for a year or more sometimes just because life is busy and they're off doing their things and I'm doing my things. It doesn't mean that I don't love them and I don't want to connect with them, but we can just pick up right off where we left. And those are the the relationships and, and the people that I want to keep in my life and to foster that and, and to keep that going. So, you know, recognizing that life isn't static, you're going to grow, you're going to change with, with friendships, with families, with your partner as well as you go through different chapters in life as well. It's kind of like, and, and farming too, right? Like through farm, different farming seasons and whatnot. That's really just how life evolves and being able to embrace that and to recognize we can't control everything either too. So I think that for me, for sure, has been a huge part of how I've been able to kind of like calm down my type A-ness <laughs> has, been, has been to, to really recognize what you can and can't control and focus on that too so yeah i'm gonna have to go okay but you guys go ahead and keep going with the interview i think it's going awesome and if there's anything you need me to record later on katie i can do that at another time okay okay we got to get to the doctor you bet arlene thank you so much it's great to meet you in person (laughs) in screen (laughs) all the best today bye Bye. All right. So, Kristen, I'm just going to skip ahead and outline here because otherwise our episode's going to be like three hours long. This happened before. We've had episodes that were a solid two hours. And I was like, I don't know that anybody wants to listen to this much. Fair enough. I wouldn't want to listen to me that long either. No, no. Um, This is actually why I decided I needed a co-host for the podcast because nobody wants to listen to me just like yak on for an hour. So what county fair contest could you dominate? Oh, you know what? That is a really great question. I'm going to have to rack my brain a little bit about that. It's been a while since I've been to a fair given COVID. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, I would say something, something around. So I'm the the oldest um, child of five children and both my parents are oldest children as well so I come by my I'm going to call them leadership skills <laughs> very very uniquely so something yeah something about being like either around being like the loudest or the bossiest <laughs> in the in the category or I'm also actually I'm also a really good baker so I think I could pretty do pretty well and kick butt in in some kind of like baking competition for sure i'll tell you we we refer to the girl child as having strong leadership skills instead of being bossy and i love (laughs) for myself how much that reframes the behavior to view it as right a positive thing that maybe needs some direction instead Mm -hmm. of uh you're not Mm -hmm. the boss of me because you're five you know sort of a thing she gets it for me too so i can't really like yeah, it's hard to, yeah, rein that in. <laughs> totally. All right, so now we're on to cussing and discussing, and this segment is a place to air our grievances, discuss random topics, whatever else. Arlene put in here that it's our podcast and we can do what we want. So nobody's the boss of our podcast either. If any of our listeners would like to cuss and discuss, you can send us a voice memo at speakpipe.com backslash language or an email and we'll read it out for you. So Kristen, what have you got to cuss and discuss this week? 
well, I didn't have to rock my brain too hard on this one. <laughs> but when Arlene sent that, I guess my my brain kind of first went to, you know, what we're living right now is like through the pandemic. And I'm sure everyone is so sick and tired of talking about it and listening to it, myself included. But I do try to stay up on, you know, current news as much as I can, or as much as is good for my mental health. That was definitely something that I recognized like early on in the pandemic, I was like, I need to like reel this in because too much of this is just not good for me. But the thing that's kind of been like poking at me a lot lately, and I know the more the pandemic goes on, the more we all get like set up with it. But it's just kind of the, the idea of like the media keeps putting this like facade in our heads about getting back to normal life. And I think that is just such a bunch of horseshit that you know we in the in the years that the years uh, I guess we're going into now that we've lived in the pandemic normal is not an option anymore and like what I really think like it frustrates me when they keep saying this because it kind of means that we're stepping backwards right like that we're going back to something that we once knew and as a society, even as an individual, like I feel like I've changed. Definitely. We've all kind of learned and, and grew and regressed and had all of these experiences through this pandemic. So my pet peeve or piss off is this media constantly like bombarding us with like, oh, when we get back to normal life. And I'm like, we need, in my opinion, we need to think of it as we've evolved like evolving into something new and something different and something hopefully you know better that we can kind of grow towards so that's sort of been what's flown around my brain the last couple of days yeah it feels like too you know for for folks who've lost people that getting back to normal mm. just kind of pretends it never happened and yeah. that's really horrible and so it seems like mm -hmm. the right the right memorial for that loss is to look right. at how we can be better and how we yes. can improve and mm -hmm. really focus mm -hmm. on our priorities and things. And it, yes. it has been interesting to me realizing what my priorities actually are for things versus what mm -hmm. was just what we did because it was normal. Right. Yes. And Unexpected. Things. Right. Like absolutely. For sure. No, that's a really great really good way to reframe it uh, for sure but yeah so what's what's been on what's been on your mind Katie tell me well, tell me what you've been dealing with <laughs> so first I'm going to read Arlene's it says that they got a bunch of ice which led to freezing rain and ice and now it's oh. still cold so it's still icy and she said I'm afraid I'm going to break my butt the cows can't go outside safely and there's no telling when it will break up yeah totally and yeah the we got some winter weather here the last couple of days too and the i'm generally the chill mom who's like go ahead and climb that thing and we'll see if you fall off and break your neck or not right but the kids running around when it's icy when we're going into daycare and there's like a flight of cement steps and there's a road and there's cars and, and mm -hmm. there's ice just yeah puts me over the edge the other thing for me is this as an American, Canada obviously has some different uh, responses to the pandemic than we have mm -hmm. had. But this, well, everyone, it sounds weird since we just spent an entire hour and a half talking about not judging people. Um, <laughs> that only counts for shit that only impacts them and their family. That does right. not count for everything else. And not just mm -hmm. vaccinations, but 
everything mm-hmm. else that comes along with living in society with other humans. Agreed. Um, yeah. And something I'm really struggling with right now is this phrase, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt about whatever. And finding that line in personal relationships, in public relationships with society as a whole, whatever, of what is giving someone grace because they're humans and humans fuck stuff up because that's mm-hmm. what we do versus right. you're just being an asshole and I don't want to deal with it and you're wasting yeah. your time. And that's a really hard line to draw. So if anyone has any advice or thoughts or wants mm-hmm. to yell at people for me, they let me know. It's a hard <laughs> yeah, it's, absolutely. I think we forget mm. how exhausting it is to hold boundaries and especially in people in places where you want to maintain a relationship but you have to keep holding that boundary and keep assessing where that boundary is and especially with Mm -hmm. children about assessing where Mm -hmm. their boundary in that relationship with other people is and Mm -hmm. yeah Oh, yeah. And even even just the phrase to like give them the benefit of the doubt, like to me, it almost like, yes, you want to be a kind and a compassionate and an empathetic individual, but it almost kind of takes the accountability out of things, right? To just say like, okay, well, it just sort of, yeah, leaves it airy fairy. And that's not, that's not good for, for helping to set those boundaries. And we know boundaries are important, right? Like that's how we, that's how we maintain our sense of self and our, our, our values as, as people too, to not let people just push us over. Right. So it kind of gives a little bit of just a free for all almost. And yeah, I don't, I don't really like that, that, that phrase either. It's like kind of doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, I realized we were talking a couple weeks ago about how I feel like I have, you know, Robert De Niro-style circle of trust now, and the the people inside the circle are guarded pretty ferociously, and the people outside the circle are pretty far outside the circle, but dealing with the people Mm -hmm. who are sort of standing on top of that wall is not my strong point. I am a very Mm -hmm. black and white, in or out kind of person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with some of these tough, you know, tough topics too, whether it's the pandemic or, or farming or mental health, like people do have strong opinions about these things. And sometimes they're not always rooted in how we see things either. Right. So like kind of trying to find that common ground is not always, we're not always able to. Right. So then yeah. once we, once we hit that, then how do you, like you said, if you if you want to or feel the need to maintain the relationship, that gets really tricky. And and how we position ourselves and and try to stand our ground, but also see it from another perspective. Like agreeing to disagree is one way, but that also doesn't really solve or or push us forward in conversations around some of these tough topics either so that's really it's really tough absolutely it's really tough so when i i feel like as someone who puts a lot of effort into trying to maintain a a positive action oriented you know how can we improve things Mm -hmm. outlook on life right but also 
no, I'm just done with you. Mm -hmm. And trying to maintain that positive outlook while also not burying your head in the sand about very real problems and struggles and things and Mm -hmm. engaging with people who refuse to admit that there are actual problems that need to be addressed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That sounds like a whole podcast episode in itself. Yes. We'll just have to come back and do another episode when Arlene can stay for the full five hour live episode where we fix everything that has ever gone wrong. Um, thank you for joining us, Kristen. I'm just going to like force us to be done so that we're not sitting here for the rest of the day. Where can folks find you online? Yeah, so I have a couple of different different platforms uh, that I use. Instagram is definitely my most favorite. I am a millennial. I haven't really jumped ship to TikTok full, you know, full bore yet. But Instagram, I manage my my uh, kind of what I would call professional account as the farm therapist. I also have just my personal account. So that'll, I'm sure, be full of parenting and baby type stuff in the future to come. So you can find me at Kristen Kelderman on Instagram as well as Facebook. I have one of my my pre-pandemic goals was I exited from Twitter. So I'm not part of that shitstorm anymore. Not just for my own anything. mental health. Oh yeah, no, good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I realized too because I am, so I am not a I am an elder millennial, so I am not yeah. as well versed in some of this that Twitter has decided to only show me people that will enrage me because yes. I look at it and so then it just shows me mm-hmm. more of this shit and I'm just like Right. Nope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah. Just not yeah. even gonna look at it because Exactly. Exactly. So I've definitely jumped ship from that. But yeah, Instagram is that is my kind of home on social media. So people want to reach out or connect there, they absolutely can. Well, good to know. Yeah, um, Arlene's oldest child said that our Instagram looks like a mom Instagram. (laughs) Funny thing. Turns out we're moms. Yeah, exactly. I'm still not entirely sure what she meant by that. I'm apparently not doing Instagram correctly, but I. You know what? You're on brand. So on brand. brand. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone can be a critic, right? Yep. Yep. I did joke. I was going to pay our 15 year old babysitter to explain TikTok to me because I just don't get it. I was like, you know, it's I'm sure I can figure it out myself, but it'd be way more efficient to just slip her 20 bucks to explain it to Mm -hmm. me. Yeah, I hire her to to manage our socials. Exactly. When in doubt, go to the younger generation. I do that with my sisters all the time. I'm like, can you tell me what this is and how, why I would use it? They're a wealth of information for sure. Yeah, it does feel too, like once you have to start Googling the the hip slang that the young people are using, like (laughs) if you have to Google to find out what it means, you're probably too old to be saying it. So exactly, exactly. Just accept it and move on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to wrap up the episode because our robot vacuum just started and is running all crazy around the house. Awesome. I didn't expect her today, but here she is. So, all right. Thank awesome. you everyone for joining us today on Barnyard Language. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and occasionally TikTok as Barnyard Language. And on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farm families, you can join our private Facebook group. It's You can find it as Barnyard Language Group. We also have a show page under Barnyard Language Podcast. Please like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoyed listening, please leave us a good review. 
or a bad review if you hated it. We'd rather know the honest truth, I guess. We are on the lookout for future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. You can support the show by becoming a patron on the Barnyard Language Patreon. A small monthly donation keeps us in coffee and also offsets the expenses of producing the show. 